Aliens, from the sermon series, Justice Matters, spoken by Pastor Michael Carrion. So I want to introduce to some and, and, and present to others our pastor, our Pastor Michael Carrion, who will be our preacher, starting off our Justice Matters series today on the topic of immigration. Um, for those of you who don't know um, uh, Pastor Michael Carrion, you are in for a treat. He is um, a wonderful preacher of the gospel. He is the pastor and founder of Promised Land Covenant Churches located in the North and South Bronx. He is the founding chairman and superintendent of the Bronx Academy of Promise K-8 Charter School in the Bronx. And he is also a church planter and he also coaches other uh, uh, pastors as they plant churches. He does it for our denomination, and I know a lot of people say what denomination is Metro. Metro is a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and so he works with other pastors as they are planting their churches. He is also on the board of directors for the National Latino Evangelical Coalition. He is a father, a husband, a grandfather. Him and his wife have been married over 30 years. Amen? Isn't that exciting? <laughs> over 30 years and I would like to call him a modern-day prophet a modern-day prophet in the shoes of Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah so we hope that you will um, hear what thus saith the Lord through Pastor Michael Carrion can we bless God for him today and welcome him thank you get so nervous <laughs> man there's a lot of y'all oh. what happened everybody skipped first service and said let me come to second service what's going on with that no praise god bear with me as i um fighting allergies just moved into inglewood all the trees and everything Ain't no trees in the South Bronx, bro. <laughs> I didn't start having issues with my voice until I got over here. All this nature and stuff. Boy, justice matters, and what a privilege and an honor to be invited. I just want to give honor where honor's due. Um, I, you know, I love Pastor Peter. He's my bishop. He's my pastor. And uh, your church is leading our denomination when it comes to advocacy and being a prophetic voice on issues of injustice. Yes, you can clap because it's your church, it's your ministry, it's your movement. <clears throat> on issues of immigration, I just was privileged to partake in, the, uh, in the, uh, all the hard work that Pastor Sunita put together uh, for the Families Belong Together movement. I was so moved at how many people showed up. I was so moved at how many white people showed up. I said it, white folk showed up. <laughs> I expected to see a little Asia, you know, you know, white folk, caring, concerned about the immigrant. That's touching. That means that you're moving under and through God's sovereignty to reach and to go places the gospel normally would not be able to reach because of various issues, because of the historical tainting that's on the term evangelical today. So I want to give honor to Pastor Peter for being creative, being third culture, uh, being my friend and my bishop. Uh, my spiritual director, uh, when I'm absolutely going nuts in ministry, I can call Peter and he'll pick up the phone wherever he's at. And I appreciate that. But I also appreciate Pastor Kevin, Pastor Sunita, and all their hard work. And it's, you're, just, you're infecting Trenton. Uh, you're infecting Inglewood. I believe you're going to reach Trenton uh, from here to Trenton. So that's prophetic. Ah, prophetic word. Ah. <laughs> I believe that you're going to start something that cannot be stopped. And uh, to the glory of God, soli deo gloria. And so we give God praise for that. I've got a hard assignment this morning because most folk, when they invite Pastor Mike to come through and talk about justice issues, there's a reason why they invite Pastor Mike. And that's because they never know what's going to come out my face with or what, I, what am I going to say, how, how am I going to say it, am I going to be sensitive. And sometimes some things have got to be brought forth and they've got to just be dropped like it's hot. And you've got to be sensitive about it. You've got to call truth, truth, a lie, a lie, sin, sin, and good, good. Sometimes you just got to come out and say it, and that's just the bottom line. And, and I believe that the job of every prophet is to speak truth to power, is to speak truth to the system. 
When you look at Torah from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you see this modality of confrontation. A modality of confrontation. The kingdom stepping into the space of systems that are fallen. Uh, my, my dissertation is in liberation theology with a focus on captivity theology. And so I had to study a lot of liberationists uh, in that program. One of my favorite liberation theologians is uh, Justo Gonzalez. And he says this, that all scripture, all scripture is resistance text. It's resistance text. It's a text to help you resist the systems and to bring forth the kingdom, regardless of what you see happening or the power of that system. So we're going to look at the Bible today in a different way. We're going to look at the Bible and we're going to just pull out the truth. It's called exegesis. And uh, we're going to go into a text. But let me first pray. Father, speak to us. Touch us. Father, the, the key word here is transformation. We ask that you would unlock, unleash, and awaken prophets in this house. People that are willing to step out of their, their comfort and to step into turbulence for the other. We pray, God, that your anointing would reign. We pray, God, that you would set us afire. We pray, God, for a revival that would reach Trenton, New Jersey. Touch even the governor's office through this church. We thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. I'm coming back from the gathering of the bishops at Orlando, Florida with the National Latino Evangelical Coalition. We were discussing Latino-led church planting throughout the nation and also talking about the reinvigoration of white supremacy and its affect on the church. And, and we've all left this place. I mean, this is over 27 denominations. I don't know how many, a thousand pastors of color from all over the world. We all left with the same determination. We all left with our hearts broken and lament, but with the same focus that these are not the days for neutrality and silence around issues of injustice. That the Lord in these days is calling the church to be the church. The prophets to be the prophets. The pastors to be the pastors. The teachers to be the teachers. And to be found faithful as they dive deeper in mission and deeper in the word of God. Many people will have an issue with that because they don't want to embrace issues that don't belong to them that would affect their church program or affect the cultural realities of their board of directors. I recently lectured at a Reformed Theological Seminary gathering with my boss, Dr. Tim Keller. He was speaking on business models and missional movements, and I was the no-name teacher coming after him to talk about missional mishaps and contextualization. And within that lecture, I shared with a room full of white Presbyterian pastors... I said it white. Please don't get offended if you're a white person or of European descent or background today, but we want to talk about the dominant culture. And it's not Korean. <laughs> and it's not Puerto Rican. And it's not Dominican. And it's not African American. We had Obama in, in, in office for two or three days, but that, that, that doesn't make he's the dominant culture. I know some people have issues, and this is not any slight at, Dominic, uh, at a, a, a Republican or Democrat. Uh, justice is not a government issue or a, 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 a civil issue or a political ideology. Uh, uh, immigration and injustice are theological issues that need to be reconciled by the church. Somebody say amen. You are to be concerned about what's happening in your world. To preach a gospel that only stays within the confines of a building is not to preach the gospel. Come on. If this is all about us gathering at 1 o'clock and, and 2 o'clock and, and then that's it, then we are not, we're not doing this justice. We're not doing this correctly. This is a movement from the heavenlies that should be going into the darkest of places under the grace and the power of God through your submission. And so when we consider what is it that the church is supposed to do, I had the opportunity and the gift, the grace to lecture a bunch of Presbyterians. Lecture not as and talk down to them, but bring forth a teaching, if you will. And what I said to them was, most missional movements in antiquity fall short. Well, why would you say that, Professor Carey? And I'll tell you why I said that. Because many times a missional movement calls a social context to assimilate into the agenda of the movement. That's not the gospel. That's agenda. And some would even argue that that's colonization in the name of Jesus. So I'm sitting on a panel a few weeks later with Dr. Ed Stetzer, church planting guru. 
I remember being in first year seminary and this, reading his book. His book set me on fire planting missional churches. Six churches came out as a byproduct of me reading this author's first revised work. And so I'm on a panel now, and I'm here with four of the professors, and Dr. Stetzer's there, and my mouth is open. I am just like, oh, I cannot believe I'm on the, I'm one of my favorite theologians and missiologists. And we're talking, and I, and I, I dropped it on him. I dropped it. I said, so Dr. Stetzer, you work at Wheaton University. You're the director of the Billy Graham Institute. You work with um, uh, Dr. Jamie and those in the HDI. You work in an institution that is empowering evangelical churches globally. Talk to me about how we address the reinvigoration of white supremacy within the confines of the church. Talk to me how we become prophetic to our white brothers without offending them, but embracing them and us being what? One beloved community as reflected in the text. Dr. Stetzer, can you share with us how do we deal with this injustice of neutrality and silence on the growing smog of racism in the United States? We're reading the same word. We're reading the same Bible. Yet people of color and the other are suffering on the margins. By the way, Dr. Stetson, let me give you my little Pentecostal charismatic formation thought. Revival and a great awakening in our day is not going to come from the center church. It's going to come from the margins on the, the, the marginalized church. Every great awakening is a byproduct of what's being birthed because of a diaspora. Technical word for dispersion. Dispersion only happens under context of persecution. See, that's the problem, church. In most cases, people don't want to identify their Christianity or walk in a missional movement or prophetic opportunity because it is unpopular to be Christian. It is unpopular to tell the truth. You do know that we live in a day and age where the truth is like a lie and the lie is like the truth? And we've got to find it somewhere in the middle? All you got to do is watch CNN and you'll see a whole bunch of stuff. What is the church to do, Dr. Stetzer? And he dropped something on us. I didn't expect him to do it. I wasn't trying to put him on the spot. But what he said started a movement and a chain of Twitter and Facebook posts and Instagram posts and videos. It was amazing. So what do we need to do, Dr. Stetzer? He says, we are trying to start healthy missional church plants, not church plantations. Not church plantations. So what is he saying in stating that? Profound statement as a white evangelical. That many times an evangelical movement is a call to assimilation instead of gospel transformation. And the byproduct of that is that we don't know how to, we don't know how to deal with the issue of the persecution of the other. The byproduct of that is that we will sometimes extract the truth from the text and then put in our truth or justify our silence or justify our neutrality. Guess what, Metro? Justice matters. And God is a God of justice. Deuteronomy, he says this, and we can, we're going to take it apart just a little bit and then dive into it and then dive into some other themes. My assignment is to talk about immigration. And Nalek has been pivotal in going to the detention centers to see babies torn from their mothers and then thrown into these, these places with no one to nurture them. No, 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 no resources for children. They're detention centers. They're not, they're not nurseries. They're prison cells. They're not after-school programs that some would perpetuate. They're not safe places for children. Yet we allow our system, our government, to make this choice in the name of what? Protecting our national border. Well, that's one way to look at it. Well, we need laws. Yes, we need laws. We need laws that are balanced and humane. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, humane to all. And at the end of the day, when laws are starting to be perpetuated and passed that go against biblical expectation, go against the word of God, we don't follow the law of the land, we follow the word of God. The Bible says this, Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 16. We understand the context. Circumcise your hearts. Then there's a comma. It says, circumcise your hearts. I know this is a church of points. You got three points and then da, 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 da. That's not me. We Puerto Ricans don't talk like that. <laughs> Los Latinos no son así. We, don't, we talk fast. We try to get every point. We try to, every citation within the first seven minutes, boom, then we've done something. 
We don't talk like that. We don't talk like that. We don't talk like that at all. I hope I didn't break this. But it says, circumcise your hearts. I got feedback. Circumcise your hearts. Point number one, justice is a heart condition. Justice is a heart issue. Circumcise your hearts. Justice is a heart issue. When the church is silent about injustice, it's a heart issue. It's not the pastor's fault only. Because if you're the prophet of the house, you should be moving, especially the privileged, to where the hurt and the pain is. You know when the church is at its best is when whatever breaks God's heart is what breaks the church's heart. Did anybody hear what I just said? Whatever affects God should affect you. Whatever grieves him should grieve you. Injustice grieves God. And back to Dr. Gonzalez, all scripture is resistance text. Resist assimilation into the fallen systems of the world. We understand we have cultures that we come from, and some of us are Korean, some of us are Chinese, some of us are Filipino, some of us are African-American, some of us are Afro-Latino, some of us are mixed. Matter of fact, I'll say this all we're all mixed in here. There's no original culture here. We're all mixed with something. As somebody was telling me the other day that they went to this thing on this Facebook and they, and they find out that they were part Irish. Brother was upset because he's blue, bro. he's a dark blue brother. He said, Pastor Mike, I'm upset. What's the matter, Tyrone? I found that I'm a white guy. <laughs> so Tyrone, what you been smoking, bro? Because you are not white. No, I took up this DNA test and I found out. I said, look, man, I don't. We're all mixed, Tyrone. Yep. We've got everything in here. Everything. We're all different colors, different hues, different types of hair. I will say this. There's no such thing as good hair. There's just hair for my Afro sisters in the room, you know what I mean? Who stood up all night ironing their hair to get to. You see, you gotta be black to understand that. <laughs> Puerto Rican or Dominican, mira la, the hot comb. I don't do that no more now, that's, that's probably looking, looked at as barbaric. My mother used to have a comb and put it on the stove. Mommy, we eating comb for dinner? No, that's for my hair. <laughs> to straighten out her hair. All the real sisters say amen. <laughs> But this thing about identity is important to us. The West is, is, is about the West. That's not what you see in the Bible. That's not what you see in the Bible. The Bible never leads us to individualism. The Bible always leads us to community. Circumcise your hearts, church. Circumcise your hearts. You should be bothered at what's happening at the border. You should be bothered and what's happening to people who don't have access to resources or health programs or educational inequality, you should be bothered at the overrepresentation of blacks and Latinos in jails. You should be bothered. Poverty should bother you. You shouldn't be walking over poverty to get to church. You should be speaking prophetically to the impoverished, empowering them, and then bringing them with you to the church. Because it's when you do things like that that you become the church in context. Back to this lecture with Dr. Keller. Missional mishaps and contextualization. The church has gotten lost and gotten so busy being church that we have forgotten the other. And so we've become desensitized to injustice. And justice matters to God. Circumcise your hearts. There's a comma. That itself is a proclamation. The comma adds a therefore, an explanation, comma. Therefore, hyphenates what's coming next in the verse, the next, the, 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 the next part of this verse. And do not be stiff-necked any longer. What a rebuke. Your heart is hard and you're arrogant, stiff-necked. Remember, Justo says resistance text. Resistance. Resistance. Dr. A. Rivera would say this that we're all doing ministry in a situation of captivity, that we're all in Babylon, and we have to learn Babylonian to do life in Babylon, to prosper in Babylon, but Babylon, Babylonian doesn't have to be who we are. We are the nation of God. We are the chosen. We are the called of God. We are what? We are the beloved community in captivity, in exile. So while we have to do life in exile, we're supposed to find freedom and redemption while we're doing captivity and in exile. The gospel in us transforms the social context. This is why what he says, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
I know the plans I have for you. As I send you into 70 years of exile. And as I send you, get married, prosper, be blessed, transform. Because as you bless the city, as you become a blessing, I will bless the city, he says. That's a heart condition. But it's also resistance. Church, have we assimilated to silence? Have we assimilated to neutrality? Where we could see the persecution of the most vulnerable and be silent about it in the name of Jesus? So white silence in the evangelical movement has allowed a window to be opened up for things to get in. And whenever a prophet, a person of color, a woman of color, a sister of color, a practitioner of color, or anybody, white or otherwise, turns around and says, this is unjust, they're categorized as a liberal. They're categorized as someone who's a socialist. They're categorized as someone who's not sensitive to the times. You're a religious fanatic. No, I just believe the Bible. I'm not a fanatic, but I understand that my true identity is not from the island of Puerto Rico. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God before I'm Puerto Rican. My heritage is, is, is holy. You see, I can say that today, but I understand what it is to rock a bandera. Que bonito bandera. La bandera puertorriqueña. Last time I preached here, it was, on, it was on Puerto Rico Sunday. Let's talk about Puerto Rico. I need to wet the whistle on this one. The injustice. The injustice against American citizens who have fought in the last, at every major world war. Silence. Silence. We're not talking other, we're talking citizens. We look at that. Where are we on that? Where are we on that issue? Does anybody care that there are still people without lights? Does anybody care that there was a blackout that, had, that hid intentionally how many people really died as a, as a result of the hurricane? Citizens. No, we want to throw paper towels at them. FEMA's going to be gone in three days, so don't get too happy. Your budget was messed up before we got here, so. Oh. Oh. Injustice in the name of money. Colonization in the name of Jesus. Because where's the white churches talking about that? I just met with a, a group of bishops, the prelates of the Church of God in Christ, and I was so moved at them because others identify with others' pain. I heard one bishop turn around and say, Dr. Carrion, in the history of this country, there's at least two slaves. There's the house slave and there's the field slave. We understand that slavery was a genocide movement in this country. But truly, this, this country was never a Christian nation. This, this, was, this was born in schism. This was born in racism and colonization and the abuse of the other. This was born in rape and pillage. This was born... We throw a constitution and we borrow biblical principles, we apply it. Then we misrepresent it and say we're a Christian nation. Then we miseducate people of color and we put up posters with, with slaves that have smiles and slaves that have shoes in the pictures. Then we, we put out and we publish educational materials and tell little black boys and little black girls and little brown boys, little, right, that slaves were happy and were employed coming into the South. Colonization. Justice matters. Justice matters. Justice matters. Prelate turns around and tells me there was at least two slaves that we know of. There might have been a lot of other subcultural slaves, but there was two. There's the field and then there's the house slave. He said the field slave had no dignity. No dignity in the field. Died in the field. Worked in the field. Starved in the field. You know what that is? To be starving while you're picking somebody else's food but you can't eat it? Did you hear what I just said? Picking food but you can't eat it. Touching the thing that can save you while you're dying. Field slave, horrific situation. But the house slave took on the persona of the master. So much to the point that they would give directives to other slaves in the field as if they were the master. Until the slaves in the field started to die off. Then there was a rude awakening for the house slave. The house slave then found out that they was a slave. Because what happened to the house slave? They had to go into the field. Now the field slave, who was once a house slave, says, 
yo, what was I doing to my people? That's contextualization. A prophetic moment. Wow. You see, the church has become silent and neutral because the church hasn't gotten close enough to the other to have a sensitivity toward the feeling of the other's pain. There's a call from the Spirit to the church, I believe, to circumcise our hearts, to cut off the pride and the arrogance, the individualism that has tainted the movement and the kingdom of God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless. He defends the cause of the fatherless. When I read this text many years ago, it moved me, it touched me, because I know what it is to grow up without a father. I know what that is. You know, some of us won't understand what poverty is until we've had much and then lose everything and now have nothing. Then you have an appreciation of what you have had. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Some people don't appreciate freedom until what? It's taken from them. You don't understand freedom until you've been locked up. But when you've been set free, the fresh air of freedom and liberation is powerful. The Bible says that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien. The alien. He loves the alien. He loves the immigrant. He loves the other coming from the outside. Let me say something to you. We have to have law. We have to have laws that protect the country. We have to have laws that protect the boundaries of our country and our nation. But we have to have laws that are humane. We have to have laws that are just. We have to have laws that are balanced and don't favor one dominant culture over a less dominant culture. Come on, somebody say amen. The Bible says this, that he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Church, if we're gathering every Sunday and we're not loving people of color who are broken, if we're not disturbed that black boys being shot on a corner at a red light, if we're not disturbed that Latinos being stripped from their families, babies from their mother's bosom at the border, if we're not, if we're not disturbed at the inequality of education throughout New Jersey, in Newark, in Patterson, if we are not disturbed at what happened to Feliz Guzman in the Bronx, with the gang culture that's taking lives. Where's the church on these issues? Where's the church on these issues? Justice matters. But the Bible, the Bible never, ever, never gives us a, a lean away from justice. Matter of fact, the Bible does never gives us a lean away to justify anything that attacks the immigrants. You do know that this is a book of immigrants. That from the very first chapter, from the very first words of Torah, we understand that what? In the beginning, we used to sing this corito in, in the Spanish church. En el principio el Espíritu de Dios se movía sobre las aguas. In the beginning when the earth was being made, the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the water. We would sing this until revival broke out. And now he's moving in mighty power, even deep within my soul. In the beginning when the earth was being made, God himself was a migrant. And then we see at the last book, John at the island of Patmos, a, a, what? a political refugee dropped in the island of Patmos, releasing the last revelation for all of us, the complete revelation. What happens here? We see that this is a book of immigration. So how can we be, how can we in good conscience, how could we in the name of Jesus deny services or be silent because many people take this this stance. Not my color, not my tribe, not my problem. But that's my God. This is your Bible. But that's not your problem. This is your Bible. But those are just Mexicans and Guatemalans. This is your Bible. That's not an Asian thing. And that feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? You know what feels more uncomfortable? Having your nine-month-old daughter being stripped from you. And now you don't know where she's at. And now they lost her. And now you find out that they took a lot of these kids and put them in with sexual predators. And the same holding pen. And now you don't know what state your child is in. And you came into this country 
looking for asylum, freedom, escape from that which was trying to kill you in your motherland. Jesus himself is born into refugee status. People get uncomfortable when I say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to keep saying it until somebody says, oh, I get it now. He's born into a first century context under Roman pagan rule. He's a Jewish Palestinian, and he's born as a DACA, a dreamer. He's a dreamer. And he migrates to Egypt, and he's a refugee. And even to the point where he's the other in Galilee, do you know why they hated Jesus so much? You know why they misunderstood who he was? Because of his Galilean accent. Dr. Noel Castellanos in his book, Where the Cross Meets the Streets, love the book, get the book, it'll give you, it'll empower you on urban ministry. Says that when they confronted Peter, aren't you one of them? Aren't you with him? He said, no, not me, it had to be somebody else. No, 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 you were with him. We can tell, we know you were with him. No, it was, I don't know who he is. They kept pressing, historically, when you look at the backdrop of that text, they kept pressing because of his Galilean accent. You see, Peter could not deny where he was from because his hood had a dialect. And you knew the dialect was, 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 was different. And every time Jesus would speak, they would hear the word of the Lord, but they would also hear the dialect. They would also hear his accent. And his accent was those people, that community. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They were racist against the king of kings. And they justified it. Well, he's not part. He doesn't follow the law of Moses. So when he says things like before Moses and Abraham, I am, get a rock and stone this guy. Who does this guy think he is? He's from the south, south Bronx. He's from Galilee. How dare he? This is the problem, church. We have forgot that justice matters. This is the problem, church. We have embraced neutrality and silence. We've become okay with wrongful doings against those that are most vulnerable. We have, Dr. James Kahn, the father of liberation theology, but he just passed away, I think, just this year. He says, no, we no longer have a tree and a rope. We're no longer hanging black men. There was no money in that. There was no profit in killing black men. Now we got a cage. And we throw the black men in the cage. And that's going to make us money. Throw them in there forever. The money never stops. Matter of fact, let's do, let's do more than that. Let's be intentional about where we put economic dollars in certain communities. And let's turn around and make sure that the more dominant European cultures have all the money they need for their educational needs. But the more poor communities of color, give them less money. Give them less to work with. They don't need books. They don't need qualified teachers. Justice issue. Some of you say, man, this guy is really upset and angry. <laughs> no, I'm not. But why do you think I started a school? Why do you think we started a school? For us, it was Missio Day, the poorest congressional district in the United States, the most violence, the most social ills, the most gang. How do we change this? We got to educate children of color. How do we stop incarceration by education? How do we, how do we deal? Let me tell you this. In this last red presidential race, I had to go to the school and give counseling to 300 kids because 300 kids in my school have parents who are immigrants. Have you ever seen fear in a child's face? because they're scared that ICE is gonna come take away their parents? Have you ever seen the fear of a parent dropping off a child, looking around to make sure there's no authorities that's gonna ask for their ID? I see that a lot in the Bronx. I see a lot coming off of Rikers Island, a lot of African-American filling the prisons of Rikers Island. And when the Nalek delegates went to the border and they brought back the tapes, the audio recordings of children screaming nonstop. Justice matters, church. Church, well, are you willing to get close enough to the other to be a bomb of Gilead to those that are hurting? Are you willing to circumcise your heart? Are you willing to turn around and care more about an other tribe other than your, or, than your own? and be Jesus 
to them? And will you embrace Jesus in them? Because I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of preaching, but you cannot dismiss Matthew 25, and you cannot categorize it just as an eschatological open window for interpretive practice. You just can't do that. Because in all of those, at the end of that, he says what? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was an alien, you received me. Church, we cannot stand back. We're not, we can't call ourselves a church if we are. What do we need to do? We need to understand that this is a book of immigration. We, understand, we need to understand that this is resistance text. Resistance text. Because we are all aliens. Hebrews chapter 11, I said this in the very first verse. This is, this is, our, this is our hermeneutic and an ethic we need to really we need to bring back. And we need to really keep on the forefront of everything that we do in every ministry. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says this. All these people, talking about the, 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 the chapter of faith, that mentions Moses, mentions Gideon, mentions all the, the, the champions of the faith, mentions all the, the, the known miracles and the power and the hand of Yahweh manifest through all the New, New Testament. It says this. All these people will still live by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. What is this saying to me? Resist. Resist because I am passing through. I'm a sojourner. I'm an alien. My citizenship is the kingdom of God. We are here passing through. And while we're passing through, we're not just supposed to just get to heaven. We're supposed to bring heaven down here with us. Somebody say amen. amen. The word redemption is justice language. Re, again, deem, buy back. To buy back that which was stolen or put into captivity. Buy it back. There's no remission of sin if there's no sacrifice. Remission, other, again, buy back. What are we redeeming? What are we redeeming? Have you become so comfortable in your faith that it's okay for the others to die? Have you become so comfortable at the news that it's okay because it's not your kid, your tribe? Justice matters to God. And if we are following him, then what grieves him grieves us. We have to show up. We have to be in the fix. Every prophet, major and minor, was called to the king and told the king, thus saith the Lord. When we are at our best, we are the church of diaspora. Diaspora is a technical word for dispersed. We're not supposed to be popular here, church. We're not supposed to have a little camp tent meeting and then everybody come and like us. We have got to go to the places where there's brokenness and death and injustice and be light and salt and bring forth the kingdom. There's a crack in the wall. And the king is going to break through that wall through us, the church. He goes to the cracks and crevices of brokenness and systemic oppression. I said it. Go back to Dr. Stetzer. It's important to me because he's somebody I respect and regard so highly. And when he said that, I was like, bro, this dude is really about it. Church plants, not church plantations. Because how many of us have assimilated into white evangelicalism? How many of us just wanted to fit in so bad in the church that we listened to messages that didn't challenge us and didn't grow us and didn't call us and didn't get us angry and upset? Have we become so comfortable in being numb that the whole world around us could go to hell because we're okay. Justice matters. I'm broken. And I will always be broken until he calls me. And every time I walk into a prison, and every time I walk into our charter school, and every time I walk through the South Bronx, I'm broken again and again and again. I grew up with poor immigrants from the Caribbean. My grandmother, black Latina, doubly oppressed, Black as this table, spoke no English, third grade reading level. Third grade reading level. You guys have heard this. She just recently went to be with the Lord. And she said, Mikey, I'm so proud of you. She said, recuerda de mí. 
I said, Mommy, te veo en el otro lado. Te veo en el otro sitio. Te, te veo en el cielo. I'll see you in heaven, Mommy. I'll see, she says, I'm waiting for you. A woman who suffered injustice and racism, who lived in poverty, who came after her grandkids that were taken into the system. No English, no English, could not speak English and went to the courts and fought for me and my sister Letty to be taken out of foster care system. Because New York City is a pro at taking kids, very, very hard at getting kids back. Look at our government, the feds aren't doing too much better. Still almost a thousand kids that don't qualify to be reunited was the language that I read. The church, we are the other. And for us to be silent while the other is suffering is hypocrisy. Colonization in the name of Jesus, assimilation into a, a culture. Let me, let me break this down. So we study 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th European theologians to understand a first century Palestinian Jew. Did you hear what I just said to you, church? Is anybody paying attention? Is anybody awake right now? Did, I, did you hear what I just dropped on you? We go 12 centuries after he was done, ascended to study German interpretive interpretation on how he lived. Now with technology, we can go directly to the culture, directly to the history, directly to Middle Eastern first century reality. Roman Greco culture, we can study it directly. But in the West, our Christianity has been tainted. And it is what? A meta-narrative of colonization. Let me help you with this. And I said this, and I'm going to tell you, people got offended when I said it, but you know, my job is not to be popular. My job is to be a prophet. When you take an all-black church and you put a white pastor because white is right and black pastors aren't smart enough to run their own people, that is racism. When you take a Latino church and you put in a, 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 a white pastor because white is right, and they say there's no one who has the capacity to lead their own tribe, is racism. And what does it do to the generations and the futures to come? Let me help you with this because it's all throughout our educational system, and particularly within New Jersey. I can say this because I'm the former state director for welfare work programs for, under Governor Whitman. I worked over the entire state of Jersey. Went to every single county assessing and writing proposals in every county on every workforce investment board. I know a little bit of what I'm talking about when I, when I give this. When you walk into a school and all the kids are kids of color, but the entire faculty is European white. That child can never see themselves as a teacher or as a principal or as a professional because they don't see themselves there. That is a justice issue, church. That's a justice issue. Let me tell you, this was heartbreaking, but it was revealing. So I had a, a, a student, uh, somebody who knows somebody sends them to, they want me to walk them through the hood. Took a kid from a, from a, from a university seminary. We're going to send you to, to Cary, and I want you to, he's going to show you the South Bronx. So you know what I did, right? The kid met me in 170 from Jerome. You know what I did, right, Bill? I let him stay there for 45 minutes right there in the corner. I said, he's going to learn today. I'm standing across the street just looking at him. <laughs> You're going to learn today, dog. You're going to learn today. So I walk up to him. Hey, Kyle. Because, you know, they always name Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, let's go. Take Kyle into the hood. Take him to the South Bronx, walking around. The little brother's sweating. Don't know how to act. He says, why are they all looking at me? I said, because you're like a cop. He said, what do you mean? The cops dress like this? I said, no, but you're white walking into a Latino neighborhood. No, white people usually don't walk through here. But come on, you're safe, you and me, let's go. We're walking through, we're walking through. We walk into the school, and some of our fifth graders are there, oh, hey, 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 hey. And, you know, our principal's retiring, and we're bringing in another principal. A little African-American young boy walks up, walks right by me. You know, I'm dressed business casual somewhat and quasi, you know. He's dressed very casual. The little African, God bless you, little African-American young man turns around and asks Kyle, are you the new principal? I didn't get offended. I'm the president and the founder of the school. I'm good. No ego. Listen to me. I'm good. No ego. This is not about my ego. It's not about my, it's not about my ego. But I find it interesting that he walks by the president of color, the president who's a person of color. Business, you can't see none of my tats, you know. 
I get raw because I'm coming to Inglewood, you know, I'm coming to y'all. I, I get thrown to Guayabera, you know what I'm saying? I feel safe, I feel comfortable. When I'm in the school, I make sure that I'm more conservative because I want to give the right example and the right impression. To Somebody say amen. So now, he walks right by me. This cat's wearing a blue shirt and jeans and sneakers. Hair's not combed. He has a backpack, has on glasses like mine, but he's potentially the new principal because of social conditioning. Social conditioning and assimilation and colonization is how people have stayed on the margins. Those are gospel issues. The word cleric comes from the, the word clericu, which means scholar. And the church is to be an educational force, educating and introducing God to the broken, but then also educating his community. What are we to do for, 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 the, for, the, re, for the issue of immigration as the church? We are to believe that all people are made in the image of God, no matter what tribe they come from. Somebody say amen. amen. That all people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. All people. Somebody say amen. amen. The Bible says what? And we, and we believe this, that we believe all people have a responsibility to love and show compassion for the stranger among us. The Bible admonishes us to do this. We should be concerned about what's going on in the world. Our gospel cannot stay in this room. We believe that immigrants are our neighbors, both literally and figuratively, and we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves and show mercy to our neighbors in need. We believe in the respect and the rule of law. We believe in the law of the land. But when the law of the land goes against humanitarian value, then there's a problem with the law of the land and we follow the law of God. We oppose laws that are harsh on the vulnerable. We oppose laws that hurt the marginalized. We oppose them and we speak truth to power in the name of Yahweh like every prophet in the Bible has done. Every prophet has spoken to their president. Isaiah did it, Jeremiah did it, Ezekiel, all of the prophets did it. And if we're following in the fashion of Judeo-Christian thought, we are to speak truth to power in the name of love, to reconcile the church of many colors and the European Anglo church. We are one church. There's not going to be a colored side of heaven and a white side of heaven. It's just going to be heaven. And if we don't know how to do that on this side, we're not going to do that on that side. Come on, somebody. This is a hard message. You know what's harder? The silence and neutrality of the church. You know what's harder? That we walk over poverty and we ignore educational equality. You know what's even worse than that? That we are silent on the issue of mass incarceration and the murdering of young black men and women. Where's the church? Because my Bible says justice matters and God is a God of justice. Metro, you are called. Your, your mission is one word, transformation. I think you need some transformation for yourself. You know why I'm here today? To tell you, be ye transformed in the renewing of your mind. Be ye transformed in your heart. Pick up the weapons of your warfare, for they are not carnal, but mighty through God. Let me tell you, resistance sex, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I always get in trouble when I go and they ask me to come preach. I'm, somebody's always offended when I, you know what, God bless you. I hope you are offended if you got, I said it, I hope you're offended. Because that means something's stuck. That means somewhere in your self-evaluation, guess what, you just found out that you're a racist. I said it. I may not be back here for another five years. <laughs> Hopefully Carol doesn't terminate my lease in the house. But if you're a racist here today, repent. If you're biased here today, if I'm too Puerto Rican for you, I'll holler. If I'm too black, if I'm too strong, if I'm too direct, you notice that those are the social generalizations they have of us? Yeah. Yeah. I'm too black, I'm too strong, oh my God, they can't say anything, you talk low. Yeah. All you Latinos are so loud. <laughs> well, why do you think I'm loud? Because the system has tried to silence me. 
Why do you think I'm strong? Because the system tried to kill me. And I had to get up and pick myself up again and again and again. Why do you think that the churches of color, when we go into worship, just different, no judging, I love to worship here. But you come to a, my church, we worship, it seemed like we worship it for three days until resurrection happened. <laughs> One song is all of the songs you're saying today in my church. Why is that? What is that phenomenon? Because we go through so much in the world that we live in as people of color and on the margins that we need more worship. And we're trying to get in. And yes, some of us are less educated. And yes, most of us are blue collar. And yes, some of us don't even have a degree. That's what the margins looks like. But it wasn't from the dominant that the spirit pulled out the Yeshua. It was from the margins of Nazareth. It was from the hood of Galilee. He was an immigrant and a refugee and he protested. He was a social justice protester. Jesus protested in silence all the way to the cross so that you and I could be set free from the systemic fallenness and its power over us. We are doing ministry in a situation of captivity and we are all called into account because God is a God of justice. You can never say after hearing this message, no one ever told me, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I love the text. It says, come on to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Somebody say amen. amen. Sometimes we need rest from the hate that's in our heart. Sometimes we need rest from the biases that were never really ours that we picked up from somebody else. Let me be very transparent. My father was a hibaro from Manatí. He was a Latino that was private. He was a light-skinned Latino. Light-skinned. Light-skinned with nice, pretty hair. He would say, I got good hair. I'm like, Papi, you just got hair. <laughs> There's no good or bad hair. It's just hair. Sister, say amen. amen. And he would turn around, and he would get upset when my sisters, and I got seven sisters, he would get upset when they would come home with African-American men. Mira. Brothers. He'd be like, There's no, There's no Puerto Ricans out there for you? And my mother's black. <laughs> my mother's African-American. And he would tell my sisters, we're men, we're both, we're black Tinos, we're black Tinas. They would come home with big, blue, blue, dark-skinned brothers. I mean, pitch black brothers. And my father would be there. They would walk in with a do-rag. Some of you, I know, don't know, you know what I'm talking about, a do-rag for the waves. They walk in with a do-rag and their baggy pants. And my father would be in the kitchen. And I would go to the kitchen and he'd be like. <laughs> and I'd be like, what? Oh, the black guy? Oh, he's Waletti. <laughs> he's for your daughter. Oh, you ain't know? We black, you know? And he would do that. And my mother would get so frustrated and they would fight because, you know, I was racist. And all seven of my sisters. <laughs> None of them came home with a Latino. Who does your daughter come home with? And can she come home with a big Dominican brother with jerry curls? <laughs> or, 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 or a Mexican? Or would you prefer to come home with somebody from the dominant culture? Because to you, that's marrying up. When my daughter married her six-foot dark chocolate Jamaican from Kingston, Jamaica. <laughs> I was crying as I facilitated this wedding. Not because he's dark-skinned and Jamaican, but because my daughter is in love with a man and a man is in love with my daughter. And I said, today I do not lose a daughter, but I gain a son. And so now you gotta learn how to eat arrocongandule, my kids are going to be trilingual, English, Patois, Heavenly Tongues, Spanish. And it's okay for my kids to come home with whatever color they want. As long as it's real. Somebody say amen.
I hope some of y'all saying the amen, like, man, amen. He's so strong, but I couldn't do that. Because I'll tell you, I have a lot of very close Asian Korean friends. And the racism in your culture. Lord, have mercy on the Korean-American woman that wants to marry another with her family. Lord, have mercy on the Korean man that wants to marry a, a sister of color. Lord, have mercy because of the persecution within the family. You see, even the family culture can be racist and biased and fallen and oppressive. Somebody feels very uncomfortable because I just took that home to your house like that. You're going to learn today. Because Jesus is calling you, and justice matters. Even the injustices you inflict on your own children with your bias. This is the word of the Lord, and it was a hard word. And boy, I, I didn't have the clock the first time, and I'm sorry I took leisure the second time, Pastor Kevin. But I'd like to pray for an awakening within the church. Because justice really does matter. And prophetic posture does matter. And the church's decision to rise to the occasion and move forward does matter. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we come to you all together broken, all together, some of us angry, some of us feeling like, man, I wish I knew more, I want to get involved, I don't know how. Some of us saying, man, this is so overwhelming. What could I do in my little bit of space? Father, wherever we find ourselves today, you've called us your children, the children of God, the beloved community. We ask you, Lord, for a fresh outpouring, a fresh outpouring. You said in the latter days you'd pour out your spirit upon all flesh. There would be visions and there would be dreams that handmaidens of the Lord would arise in great strength. Father, you, you, you've spoken to us and you've given us a framework. Help us to love the other. Help us to stand for justice. Help us to stand for the refugee and the immigrant and for the person that's pursuing, Father God, peace. Help us, Lord, to get involved. And Father, if there's some of us that were offended, I pray that you touch their hearts and that you have them self-reflect, God, and that they would eat the meat and spit out the bones. I pray that this word, oh God, would long go and stay further than any intention could have ever led it. Father, but your divine will for their lives. Thank you for Pastor Peter and his leadership, his peculiar leadership. Thank you for Pastor Sinead and Pastor Kevin and all the pastors at Metro. I pray that this church blow up, Lord, with people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, and that they marry and intermarry, and that they prosper and they grow in their context as they infect the state of New Jersey, be high and lifted up in everything that happens to Metro. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Courage, a man of heart, and a man of the word of God. And he has blessed us once again. If you would just take out your next steps real quick here, there's four of them I just want to point out to you before we uh, end in a time of worship here. Uh, we, we always start with the first one. I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If you are here today and you cannot say that you are in a relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then that's the box for you to check talk to one of us, go out to the next table on the left. We'd love to speak with you about that because that is what God offers to each and every one of us. And that is the entry point into a relationship with God. The second one, I will attend the panel discussion today at 1.30 p.m. in the Media Center. Pastor Sunita already invited us to that right after this service. Media Center is in the front of the building here. Uh, even if you didn't sign up, you are welcome to come to that. And we need to be there to continue this discussion because I don't know where your heart is right now, but mine is left very unfulfilled. I'm challenged. I'm convicted. 
My name is Kevin. I'm a white racist. I admit that, okay? But we got to take the next step. We have to put some, put our feet on the ground and figure this thing out. Pastor Sunita and a panel and Pastor Michael are going to help us to do that. So please join us there. Number three, I'll prayerfully reflect and connect with Pastor Sunita on how I can support Metro in its efforts to love the immigrants among us. As the director of our Jack ministry, Pastor Sunita is leading the charge here, but she's got to lead us. And so we have to be behind her. We have to be participating in this. Reach out to her. She would love to interact with you. And then finally, I'll memorize Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19, a wonderful passage for us to be processing in the days that come. We have been challenged from the Word of God. This is not Pastor Michael's good ideas. This is the truth of the Word of God. We need to internalize this. So please check off whatever is appropriate to you. You can drop that in the offering uh, as the offering comes around. We will be worshiping God now through the giving of our tithes and offerings. The ushers will come forward in a moment. There will be people across the front and one in the back to pray with you or for you. Please take full advantage of that as the worship team leads us. I'm going to invite you to rise. I'm going to invite the ushers to please come forward.